You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. but it leaves a lane open for Gabe Velarde and Kyle Connor to hook up for a go-ahead goal. You know, the third one I went for the hit, um, ended up in the back for net, and the fourth one's on me as well, so that, you know, that game's a loss because of me. You're so bloody negative about everything. We know Tanev's going to be traded. I think the Flames are waiting till a first-round pick gets offered. Good morning. Happy Family Day here. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650, the home of the Canucks. No Halford today. He has the day off. Maybe the week off as well. We'll see. Lower, I'm lower body injury. Yeah, day to day, week Halford, to week. Yeah. I don't know. We This is kind of the thing that turned into a, a maintenance day, turning into an extended yeah, absence yeah. for Mike Halford. So it's, it's nothing serious, folks. Don't worry. He had a sports injury. That, uh, well, it is serious to Halford, but it's not like life threatening. Yes. Unless he spends way too much time on his couch over the next little while, and then it could be life threatening. Good morning, Dodd. Good to work with you again. Good morning. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, Bruff is still here, and of course, Laddie and A Dog uh, in the control. Good morning. Room, still running things. Hello, hello. As well. Uh, uh, good, uh, I hope everyone has a great family day yes. today, including uh, getting some time away from your yeah. family. That'd be uh, nice. I was supposed to have the day off mm-hmm. until Halford's injury. So now I'm here getting some time away from my family. Um, yeah, or later start today. So 7 to 10. And of course, then the Canucks play at 11. So we'll roll right in to the pregame show here. Uh, the official automotive, automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Com. And uh, uh, just a reminder yeah. that hour one of the Halford and Bruff show is brought to you by North Star of Metal course. Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street. Very good. Um, big show coming up today, 730. David Amber will join us at 830. Joe O'Donnell, who does the uh, play-by-play for the Minnesota Wild, the Canucks opponents today. We'll get a preview of the game with Joe. And then at 9, uh, Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingle Magazine will join us for some goalie talk. Before we do all of that, and of course we'll do what we learned at 8.30, so you can send yours in right now, 650-650, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll read them uh, at 8.30, hashtag WWL. Before we do all that, let's do what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca 
Ca. Uh, not necessarily the busiest weekend in sports, but the highlight, certainly from our perspective, a really, really entertaining game between the Canucks and the Jets at Rogers Arena on Saturday. Although uh, a lot of Canucks fans left pretty frustrated in the aftermath as they fall 4-2 to the Jets on Saturday. Yeah, uh, The Jets earned that 4-2 win over the Canucks. Mark Scheifele was the star of the game. He had a goal and three assists. Gabe Velarde had a couple goals and assists. Kyle Connor had two really nice assists. And Sean mm-hmm. Monahan outdid Elias Lindholm in the trade acquisition department. He scored his first goal for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, the Canucks, meanwhile, didn't get any offensive contributions from their star forwards, and we'll talk about that for probably a fair bit of the show today. <laughs> Um, their goals were scored by Noah Juleson, who we'll also talk about today, uh-huh. and Tyler Myers, uh, who we may talk about today. Beautiful goal by Tyler Myers, by the way. Sen- <laughs> simply sensational. That was awesome. I was like, when's he going to pass it? When's he going to pass it? Backhand <laughs> nope. right by Hellebuck. Um, the Jets scored twice on the power play while the Canucks went 0 for 4. And while the fans had a lot to say about the officiating, uh, head coach Rick Tockett didn't want to hear any complaining about the refs. And he said, you're going to have these games. Whether you think you got screwed or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, the last couple of games, we've taken a lot of penalties. That's for people to say if there are penalties or not. But I'm not going to go there. We played hard. Just unfortunately, the Jets won the special teams battle tonight. And uh, IMAC wrote about this in his column. that Tockett's takeaway was just don't get frustrated. I think we were mm-hmm. getting frustrated with some things out there and just don't let it fester because when that happens, when you get frustrated, you run out of position or you do something that's uncharacteristic, um, which brings us to Noah Juleson. You might have heard him in the intro saying basically this game was on me and I'm not going to go that far, but I will go so far as to say is he made a couple of mistakes. Uh, he had a really eventful night. Uh, he did score the game's opening goal on a net front drive to pick up some garbage, which I did not see coming. First goal since 2018 for uh, Noah Juleson in the NHL. But in the third period with the score tied 2-2 and the game was starting to get rowdy. Well, it already started getting rowdy. There were lots of big hits away. Uh, lots of big hits. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun. Um, I wasn't in attendance at Rogers Arena, but it was one of those games where, man, I wish I was there. It was like a fun time. Uh, he gave the puck away, unfortunately, and then he chased a hit on the winning goal. A hit the crowd got to cheer for about yes. a second before Velarde scored on one of those great passes from Kyle Connor after Shifley had taken the hit. Um, and then Juleson... Just a couple minutes later, got caught out of position and lost Shifley. There's that name again behind him. Connor made another great cross-ice pass, and this time it was Shifley who beat Thatcher Demko, and that was the game, really. Um, I do want to play some audio from Juleson. I'm not pinning the entire game on Juleson. I don't think anyone in their right mind is pinning their game on Juleson, the game on Juleson, but we've been giving this guy a lot of love. And I do wonder if he started maybe playing above the mm-hmm. safe level mm-hmm. for Noah Juleson. Uh, here's Noah Juleson taking the blame for the Canucks' 4-2 to two loss to the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the goal doesn't matter at all, obviously. Uh, you know, the third one, I went for the hit. Um, 
ended up in the back of our net, and the fourth one is on me as well. So that you know that game's a loss because of me. You get your first goal as a Canuck. Were you expecting to score it from inside the opponent's crease? Is that... No, I I wasn't, but uh, it doesn't matter right now. What do you guys learn from a tough game like this? Yeah, I think there's a lot to learn. Obviously, I think we we played great till uh, a couple errors there by myself. So yeah. Do you think there was enough emotion in this game to affect the outcome? That's hard to say. I mean, I think we, we played hard and had emotion the whole night and uh, a couple slip-ups by, by me there, and, and that's the game. So, again, there's no way I'm pitting that entire no. game on Juleson. The Canucks power play went 0 for 4, and the PK went 2 for 4. Uh, the first Jets power play goal, um, I don't think the skaters did anything wrong. Uh, you know, they, they kept the puck to the outside and somehow a puck squeezed by Thatcher Demko, who looked like he was in a great position to make the save. Uh, the second one, the Jets tic-tac-toed it around a little bit. Um, so you either credit the Jets or maybe wonder if the Canucks could have gotten a stick in a passing lane or a shooting lane. Yep. But look, reverse those. Canucks go two for four on the power play and they kill all four Winnipeg Jets, game. Um, you know, power plays themselves and... The Canucks win the game. It's a comfortable win, yeah. The Canucks overall were, at 5-on-5, five five, were the better team. Um, listen, it was an entertaining game. I enjoyed watching it. I'm not that upset that the Canucks lost. I know people are going to bring up the fact that they've lost some of these, you know, oh, that's a big game tonight. Yeah, well, you know, coming the, the, off the heels of the Boston game. the Boston game, game. Yeah. yeah. I like watching intense hard hockey. Um, the Jets are a good team and the Canucks are still tops in the NHL standings. There's no reason to freak out yet. The top six is still not consistent. They're not terrible. They're not terrible. I think they're just not living up to their potential. And I'm going to throw the power play in Mm -hmm, there because mm -hmm. the top six is a big part of the power play. Um, five on five, they weren't awful but um you know we're st- I, I hope they give this Swedish line a, a, a run just like let them have the odd so-so game or even a bad game because yep. I think it's really important that somebody starts clicking with Petey who had a rough game especially on the power play against the Jets um Lindholm and Hoaglander I think that line has potential they might just need some time to grow used to each other um what were your thoughts on Saturday? Well, first of all, you know, and somebody texted in already, there's this idea out there. Iron Blair texted in. The narrative is out there that the Canucks can't beat good teams. I don't believe it. And, yeah, I think if you're taking away anything like that from the Jets game, I think that's a total mistake. As you said, they were the better team at 5-on-5. Five five. And the way I was thinking about it, if that was game one of a playoff series, nobody would be looking at that and saying, like, oh, wow, the Jets are – they're going to walk in this series. We'd be looking at it and saying, oh, this is going to be – this is going six or seven games because these are two really evenly matched yeah. good teams. And Came down to a couple of mistakes exactly, in the end. Right? There was very you know uh, thin margins on that game. Ultimately, the special teams battle is what did it. But there was no time watching that game where I was thinking, like, oh, the Canucks can't hang with the Jets. No, no way. They played no. really well. Yeah. Now – I know Tockett spoke after the game about, you know, one of his favorite phrases, a learning lesson uh, about keeping your composure. And I did think the worst stretch for the Canucks was like the final 12 minutes or so, right? When they, I, I thought the wind did go out of their sails yes. a little bit, and Noah Juleson in particular, obviously. But even the rest of the team, I thought maybe just a little caught up in the emotion 
uh, of the game. But I don't think there's any like serious takeaways that I'm concerned about or red flags or anything from that Canucks uh, performance. The point about the top six, I mean, people are texting in about Brock Besser, you know, other than that hat trick against Columbus before the all-star break. It's been a really quiet stretch for him, even though he's at 30 goals now. It's hard to separate the power play and what they're doing at five on five. And I think Rick Tockett would agree that, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was just last week where he was saying, what does the top six need to do? Be more like the Garland line. <laughs> like Do these things. Retrieve pucks. Be connected in the offensive zone. There's too many one-and-done shifts. And I think that's still the concern for me is that they're not generating those repeated scoring chances often enough. Now, mm. as we saw uh, recently against Detroit, they don't necessarily need a ton of grade-A scoring chances to convert. But when you're going against a defense like the Winnipeg Jets and a goalie like Connor Hellebuck, that's a hard way to live. And I think you need to find a way to grind out those shifts in the offensive zone. And the top six hasn't really been doing that consistently. Uh, let's talk about Elias Pettersson because he looked off to me. Uh, in the game, not just on the power play, um, although he did nearly score a beautiful goal on the power play on an individual effort. Um, it would have been nice if that would have happened, but yes. it didn't. And it looked like to me one of those games where he was just fighting the puck a little bit, um, careless with the puck, um, just not, just just not at the level that we know he can get to. Um, I realize Pedersen is a really touchy subject in Vancouver. <laughs> really, you think? <laughs> There's, you don't say. They're starting to become more of a noticeable divide in the fan base mm-hmm. between those who enthusiastically, enthusiastically rip him after games like Saturday and those who will staunchly defend him and even do some whataboutism. What about Brock Besser? Like, mm. as soon as you start complaining about... What about, about JT Miller? Yeah, yeah. Elias yeah. Pettersson. Like, there's a yeah. lot of that. Um, I know this is Halford-esque, but in honor of my fallen comrade... <laughs> I do think both sides make valid points. On the plus side, and this one's obvious, Petey is a top 10 scorer in the NHL. Dude scores a lot of points. He could easily top 100 points again this season. That's a good hockey player. Guys like that make your team better. Now, that being said, I also think it's fair to say that you do not always know what you're going to get from Petey. Compare him to Quinn Hughes. And let's do that because, you know, those are the two superstar skaters on the Canucks. Hughes rarely has an off night or seems to struggle with his confidence. He has a few off nights. But you can depend on Hughes to be brilliant on a nightly basis. He's reliably elite, if that makes sense. Petey's game, to me at least, and I welcome anyone to disagree with this, I want to have a conversation about this, is more erratic. Like, sometimes he'll have nights where he looks like the second coming of Pavel Datsuk, both offensively Mm -hmm. and defensively. Then others, he's downright sloppy with the puck, and his body language gets a bit pouty. I still, again, want that Swedish line to get some more time together because I think there's potential there. Um, But what do you think about that notion of 
not knowing what you're going to get from Petey on a nightly basis. Do you agree with that? Feel free to disagree. I don't feel that watching the games. And I wonder how much of it from, even from your perspective, kind of unconsciously, but especially from the fans, is related to the uncertainty around his contract, right? That he is extra under the microscope because he hasn't signed a contract. And we are kind of diving in and looking and dissecting these moments from Elias Pettersson more than we would for another player. I also just think, I think it has, especially for forwards, inherently there's going to be streakiness in their games, yeah. even really high scoring forwards. Yeah. And ultimately, like he's going to, I would be stunned if he doesn't get to 100 points this year. And if you have back to back 100 point seasons, well, okay, if you're if that's what your inconsistency gets you, then I can live with that. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like reliable hundred points. Exactly. Guy. It's like, well, you have some <laughs> you have some hot stretches and some cold stretches in the season, but you end up with a hundred points. Like, all right, well, you just kind of live with that. What I will say is I don't think his defensive impact has been what we're accustomed to this year. So I think mm. that's driving a lot of it as well. And I will also say you're right on the power play on Saturday. It wasn't his best game. So I'm not I'm not trying to sit here and say like, "Oh, he didn't do anything wrong on Saturday. It wasn't his best game." I just there was don't a, There was a play when he went in on the forecheck and a Jets player spun off him and the Jets player had 15 feet of separation in like half a second. Yeah. Because he just wasn't he, he wasn't on him, you know, and it didn't look like he particularly cared to back check on it. Maybe it was the end of the shift. Maybe he lost an edge. I don't know. But I'm just used to seeing more of a mm-hmm. dog-on-a-bone type of game from Pedersen. I think he tried to impact the game physically, which is a For weird sure. way to say. Yep. But like he was making hits out there. Um, but oftentimes, I find he does that when he's frustrated. And I think he was frustrated on Saturday. Well, I yeah. agree with Bruff. Like with the body language thing, I noticed it, I was there Saturday, and I noticed it especially with Petey. Sometimes he doesn't look engaged. Like that's what I noticed with him, which but, is weird because he will still make plays in the game. He'll still get chances, but there are shifts where I'm like, he just doesn't look like he's he's in it out there. How much of that is that's Petey? You know what I mean? Well, that that's, he has, well, that like, is like, him. He's yes. never going to be the kind of expressive, yes. hyper-emotional guy like JT Miller. I agree. To, to, you know, to compare two players. He very here. much is like, that that's kind just of not player. Him. He is yeah. just kind of, he has a different personality. And I guess my other question is, like, let's say, Radio. let's stipulate for the sake of argument, okay, Pedersen is less reliable. Even though he gets to 100 points and he can still have these impact games, he's less reliable than other superstar forwards. Mm. My question is still, like, well, what, what do the Canucks do about that? You know what I mean? Because I, because... That doesn't mean that. Well, then you should, you know, you should trade him instead of sign him to a contract. It's like I don't see how that gets you closer. And what do they say? Like you still get a hundred points, right? That's so, I mean, the like, thing, how do you... right? So it's like it might you should be getting two hundred. <laughs> it might just be the kind of thing where it's like maybe there is a bit of a, like a mercurial thing happening with Elias Pettersson. Maybe he does. I just str- kind of have to. Maybe live with he it. does struggle more with his confidence when things are down mm. than other players. Yeah, that could be a possibility for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the other question is like, as I was saying, I wonder if people are putting him under the microscope for the contract situation, right? I think there's definitely, I mean, I'm sure you've sensed it. Do you think that affects him, too? Well, that's what I was going to wonder. And I don't know. Like, I don't buy the idea that he can't possibly negotiate a contract in season because it would be too distracting. Everyone's got distractions in life. Yeah. And also, it's like like, it would take a day. If he picks up the phone and says, I want to sign long term. 
here's what I want to do. I want to sign a six-year deal. Mm-hmm. It could be done in 24 hours, yeah. like quite easily, mm-hmm. right? It clearly is not going to be a dispute about money or terms. So I don't really buy that. But at the same time, there's uncertainty. He doesn't know what's going to happen beyond this year. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I look at it. I look at the total output of the year and where he's going to be in his impact, and I'm pretty satisfied. He didn't have a great game on Saturday. But I do wonder how much of this is just him being extra under the microscope from our perspective right now. Um, Looking forward for the Canucks, uh, they got a tough three-game road trip starting today, actually, in a few hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It is uh, President's Day in in the United States. So it's a holiday in Canada and the United States. So it's an 11 a.m. start time between the Canucks and... The wild, so uh, gather the family around and then go watch in another room so they don't bother you. Uh, Colorado, they play tomorrow, and that's going to be another measuring stick game for the top six, Mm -hmm. I suppose, and the people that um, believe that the Canucks are great against all the so-so teams and not so great against the real contenders, even though they've... Went through the Rangers and yep. the Devils. They beat the and, Hurricanes yeah, recently. Yeah, beat the Hurricanes. Like, I, I, don't, I think that's some cherry picking yeah. there. But, you know, look, there have been some games, the Leafs game in Toronto, the Boston game in Boston, and most recently the Winnipeg game, where they haven't played well. Uh, and Seattle on Thursday, uh, the Wild are actually playing some pretty decent hockey. Although they lost to Buffalo Saturday in OT, and that when I saw that, I was like, God, I hate that because they'll be mad now. Do you remember when the Bruins had that stinker against the Flames? Right, yeah, and they and were then, super ticked off. And then yeah. they came back and, and, and walloped and then, the And then Canucks. they went back to playing bad right after that. They did, they, yeah. <laughs> they were like, we're going to play one good game here in this stretch, and it's going to be against the Canucks. I, I think we should talk about that uh, at some point this show. Like, th- We could have a Leafs-Bruins matchup, but mm-hmm. is it the same as it was maybe a few years ago? I, I don't know. Um, anyway, back to the Wild. The Wilds have still got an outside shot at the playoffs, um, plus the mad factor. I think this is going to be a tough one for the Canucks today, especially with the weird start time, the travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully the Canucks are in a bad mood after losing to the Jets on Saturday. And one thing that the Canucks have been very good at is not – letting the bad games – it wasn't even a bad game. Yeah. The bad results get them down. Famously, the Canucks have yet to lose three in a row this season. They've lost a couple in a row a few times. Um, we'll talk more about the Wild with Joe O'Donnell, the play-by-play guy for the Wild at 8.30. So that's going to be an hour two of the show. David Amber is going to join us next, and it was – a busy night or busy weekend yep. in all things other NHL. Um, there are a couple of nine to two games on Saturday. The Leafs beat the Ducks nine to two. Austin Matthews with another hat trick. This guy, this guy's threatening uh, to finish the season with a goal again. Like which which is which is crazy. Wild. I don't think he'll get there, yep. but he's you know people are people are talking about mm, maybe um, the Flames. I think are cooked. And I know the question out there is, can the Canucks find a way to get Chris Tanev? I feel like the Canucks are down the list in terms of favorites to get Chris Tanev. Um, Could he be headed north to Edmonton? That's a possibility, I suppose. 
Um, we should also maybe discuss either just amongst ourselves or with David Amber coming up. The Florida Panthers, in my mind, are quite clearly the class of the East. Yep. They beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 9-2 to on Saturday. And remember they started the season, and the Canucks even beat them early in the season. They started the season missing some real Banged key up. players. Yep. And Kachuk was cold as anything for a yeah. long time to start the year. You know, you know how we have these questions about the Canucks' top six and, like, is it reliable? Is it going to stack up against the really elite teams in the NHL? The Florida Panthers must have a top three, top six. Yeah. In the like Carter Verhage is such an underrated player. Um, you got Barkov up there. Uh, the season that Sam, Sam Reinhardt is season, having. Season that Sam Reinhardt's having. Like they are a very, very good team. Um, the Islanders blew it big time in front of like 90,000 people <laughs> at MetLife. Um, could this be the end for Lou Lamb? Like they had, they were playing well against the Rangers. And then, you know, I don't know if what it is about Bo Horvat and his teams failing to protect leads, but the Rangers scored a couple of late ones, then scored again in overtime. And the Patrick Waugh, Hail Mary by Lou Lamb does not, not seem to be, does not seem to be panning out. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 6. 50, Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halper, Halford. Uh, happy Family Day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on a holiday Monday with some uh, Canucks action coming up here in a couple of hours. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sophie, what are you waiting for? Kintech! Much better than there Alfred does. There you go. Does. Absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah. That was right there. Drew some applause. <laughs> that gave me <laughs> chills. Yeah. Wow. Goosebumps right. yeah. even. That was yeah. like the atmosphere in Rogers Arena on Saturday. It was yeah. rowdy. Rowdy, yep. yeah. Well, look, Very rowdy. the Canucks, you know, they're going into crunch time. They got to raise their game. Uh, we got to raise our game here as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your What We Learned submissions in. I haven't counted, but uh, I'm going to hazard to say that we need more of them in the inbox. We'll do it at 930. Hashtag WWL. What you learned in the last uh, 24 hours, 72 hours of sports, really, over the weekend. People get lazy when we don't give away free stuff. Oh, yeah. It's a holiday well, Monday. Get, no giveaways. Yeah. Get on it, yeah. guys. Get yeah, on yeah. it. We've kind of trained them now to... You know, save your best stuff for the giveaways. Unless, and unless cost, you want to hear, cost like us yearly six spring training. What we learns from uh, Laddie. Get it. Get on it here. Yeah, it's 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 like training a dog. He's like, okay, send in what we learn. We'll give you a treat. Yeah, yeah, one treat. <laughs> and now it's like, hey, where's <laughs> the treat? What's the yeah, deal? Yeah. I can do a bully what the... we learned. I can do a Korean baseball what we learned. Oh I just gosh. keep going. Oh my gosh, uh, down right. the list. Uh, and right now, joining us on the uh, Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, uh, it is Kevin Woodley from NHL.com, In Goal Magazine. Kevin Woodley is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Uh, Kevin, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Can we talk about that? Like, the atmosphere was good on Saturday, but, like, did you notice how loud the True North chant was in the anthem? 
Like, there was a large number of Winnipeg, and then quiet. It's like the Prairie people are too polite. <laughs> like, it was like, there was a ton of Jets jerseys. The True North was super loud during the anthem, and then, shh, that was it. it Maybe was, they all passed out by the end of the game. I, the Prairie I people also like to get into it before the game. I will say, Kevin, I was watching it at a bar, and, you know, great atmosphere at the bar, but there was a table with Jets jerseys right next to us and like no chirping no no celebrating whatsoever so I mean, you might be onto something just too they're polite just, to celebrate the big win. i thought we were into an evening of go chet go jets go chance and it, it is interesting though because i know ticket prices are up on the secondary market and everything and yet there's still large chunks of empty seats so i don't know if that's just a pricing thing but it's actually on saturday night it surprised the hell out of me to be frank well, it's it's fascinating too because one, you know, the team has been so good this year, and we're getting into that time. That's a big game. It's also like the entertainment product at Rogers Arena has been off the charts this year. When you think of not just wins, but like really spectacular, entertaining games, going back to the home opener, right against uh, against the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, there have been some fantastic games. I do wonder if we start to see because I think you're totally right about the empty seats there. If if come March, you know, when they have that nine game and a nine-game homestand, and the playoffs are really right around the corner if we start to see that change a little bit here. I would think so. I Like I said, I was I was pretty surprised. To, like, there's been a large number of visitor fans all year long, um, but I was surprised that – I was surprised I was surprised at Saturday. So we'll see, we'll see how this goes moving forward. Casey DeSmith confirmed to start today in Minnesota, our, our own Dan Murphy reporting – DeSmith has given them some really good games. Have you, like, where, what, what would you say the state of his game is right now for Casey? He hasn't Smith? gotten the results, but actually his game isn't that bad. Like, some of the adjusted numbers over the last little while are actually more impressive than they were at the start when he was getting all the results. So, um, I don't have a ton of, like, he's, you talk to him and he's as hard on himself as anyone. Um, there are things I know that, that he wants to, to tighten up and he'd like to get a few more of these results, but, when I look at when I look at the numbers, I'm, it, it's not that bad. Like it's still, you know, above what you'd expect for your backup goaltender. Like he's giving them what they need. I have no qualms, and yet when the wins don't come, the questions get asked, and, and including of himself. So, which is kind of what you want. You want a guy that that's sort of fighting and battling and not complacent with, hey, I played good enough, just didn't get the win tonight, but. Um, obviously, he'd like to see some of those things turn around a little bit. Do you think he's a pending UFA that the Canucks could try at least to bring back, realistically bring back, or do you think they'll just hand over the reins to Archer Seelovs next season? That's uh, my my hunch is the latter, but I mean he's been so good for them, and we've seen the importance of it. Yeah, I, I guess the the real question will be what the market dictates in terms of you know, price for him and whether they can afford it with all the other things they have to do. Uh, I would expect that, that the combination of Silovs maybe needing a shot, like that's the thing, the other thing you look around the league, like you can't leave them down there forever, mm-hmm. right? Like you eventually need to figure out if they can swim at this level because you have to make a decision on them. And I would think the fact that Arturs doesn't cost you as much combined with that need that would be my, my first instinct and likely where they would go. Now, you still need to sign somebody to sort of be in that three-hole, that in case of emergency mm. break glass option because you no longer have a young guy sort of that you know is capable, and that's what Arturs has given them this year. We saw it last year, right? Like, you've got a guy down there who 
if something happens, you know he's capable of stepping in at the NHL level and giving you good minutes. They'd have to go find that, I think, next season, but you can do that a lot cheaper than the cost of re-signing Casey DeSmith. So could you bring in a veteran guy and then have Seelovs as the backup and then Tolopilo is the guy you're developing next season in Abbotsford, but you also have a veteran guy maybe with a little bit of NHL experience that just in case things start to go sideways for C-Lobs that you bring, it, bring up the veteran guy? Or just in case somebody gets hurt too, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, knock on wood as I say this, but there's a lot of teams around the league that, have, you know, will tell you you can't count on two, you need three, maybe four. And, and mm. frankly, in the past couple of seasons before this one, the Canucks are, were among them. So um, I, think, I think you need that regardless. Um, and, and it wouldn't even, wouldn't even be so much. I, I, it would be, to me, it would be more just injury protection as, as so much as, you know, what if our tours can't, uh, can't handle it. Because the thing we saw in his starts last year, like I just loved how he improved every time out. Like the first one was a little bit rough and he steadied himself so quickly. Like that's, we don't get to see, we can talk about, you know, what goes on between the pipes and the technical and all that. It's, it's there for everyone to see. You can't see between the ears, um, but you get opportunities to sort of see how they handle situations and the way he handled that one, you know, speaks to sort of the mental composure that he seems to have. Did we watch the top two goalies in the NHL Saturday? Were the Flames in town? <laughs> no, um, honestly, you watch two of them, right? Like, the, the guy who's in that mix, and I say this after he got pulled on, what, four on 12 in Calgary the other night? Like, the other guy that's in that conversation is Jacob Markstrom. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been going into Saturday's action, and I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but going into Saturday's action, goals saved above expected. So, you know, based on shot quality, you know, what the average goal in the NHL should save and how much better has your goalie been than that. Demko was number two at 17. Markstrom was over 26. Like, he had, like Demko was a little below 17. Markstrom was over 26. Demko will be lower than that now based on the Jets game. Like, we're talking about a 10-goal gap between first and second. And that's why I have any, as much as knowing general managers, he may not even be a finalist this year, every Vesna conversation needs to include Jacob Markstrom. His expected save percentage is in the 870s. I think it's like it was 874 last I checked. Um, he is just outperforming a really bad defense. And this is, this, is why, this is why this is such a tough decision for the Flames. Not just can they hang around in the playoff mix, because that's starting to get less and less likely. Mm. But you know, Dustin Wolf, after all the success he's had in the American Hockey League, struggling in the NHL this season, yeah, because they're that bad defensively. Like, they're... They're bottom five in the NHL defensively. And so to ask or expect that everything Dustin Wolf is doing in the American League is going to just immediately translate to the NHL behind a team that gives up as much as they do, like that's the second part of this equation. You, you sort of don't leave yourself a safety net for your top prospect, and there's a lot of high expectations. And I don't know that they're realistic because of how good Markstrom's been. Like expecting anyone to come in and give you that type of goaltending – it kind of reminds me of the Canucks two years ago, right? Like, if you need goaltending that good to just sort of hang around and be mediocre and have a chance at the playoffs, you're not a very good team. And that's where the Flames find themselves right now. Is the narrative in Calgary that the Flames uh, wanted to be a more fun team and that's why they got a new coach and freedom uh, for the players after Daryl Sutter's ways and uh, lo and behold, they're not great defensively anymore? 
Yeah, I mean, there were some system changes uh, in terms of, you know, how they defended in their own end. Uh, so some structural things that I think it's fair to say would are going to we're going to take time anyways. Like because when you're sorting that out in your own end defensively, sort of who's got what and how you're supposed to handle things. Like we've seen it around the league when you make those changes. Hell, look at the Oilers at the start of the season, right? Like um, they were horrific in terms of what they were giving up. Dead last in the league off the rush because they changed their neutral zone forecheck, and you combine that with some selfish play and and woeful decisions in terms of turnovers that led to odd man rushes. Like, so I, I don't know if it's just the fun thing, Jason. Like I think there's there's an element of adjustments. I always thought they'd maintain some of the DNA, that defensive DNA that was built into them by Sutter, but it seems to have gone out the window. And I, I guess I just can't figure out how much of each one factors in. There's probably a little bit of both. So, so given uh, what you're saying about how good Jacob Markstrom has been, and you know we've heard that the Devils and the Flames may have been pretty advanced in talks for the Devils to acquire uh, Markstrom. Maybe those those talks are dead for now. But you know, I know you always stress it's not just as simple as going out and getting a good goalie. They have to they have to fit the the system that the team uh, is playing. But how motivated should the Devils be to go out and get Jacob Markstrom? Would that be a really good fit in New Jersey? I mean, saying it would be a perfect fit and then J- Jacob could replicate everything he's doing uh, in Calgary after getting traded to New Jersey would be a stretch. The reality is there's a ton of uncertainty, right? Like the individual tendencies and how he reads off them and how long it takes him to get comfortable. Like that's, there's no way you can say for sure. But when you check the underlying profile of what they give up, and they're, you know, are they Calgary Flames bad defensively, 27th in the NHL and all the sort of high-danger underlying categories? No. But they're in the 20s, like they're a bottom half of the NHL team defensively in New Jersey, and so they're a team that needs goaltending to sort of stand on its head. Like, they're not a team, they're not the LA Kings, you know, they're not the Maple Leafs of years past, they're not the Oilers right now, like, where they're so good defensively they just need the goaltending not to, mm. not to lose them games. They need heroics. And Jacob Markstrom, and when you go through all the different types of scoring chances, breakaways, the Devils give up, like, the second most breakaways in the National Hockey League. Markstrom's, like, plus seven goals on breakaways this season, and the guys in New Jersey are, like, minus five. There's, like, 12 or 13 goals right there. Um, Some of the categories that they are worse at defensively and also aren't getting saves in, he stands out at. Those are strengths of his game. So I... It's a fit in that way. And you know why the other way it's a fit? Like, because we've heard the Soros talk as well. Markstrom had six, unless you're worried about him falling off a cliff when, at the next birthday for some reason. Markstrom had six for the next two seasons at a time when teams are going to have to make decisions like, do we pay UC Soros eight or eight and a half million like Sorokin and, and Hellebuck make? Like, him at six is a pretty good deal. Um, I almost did a double take the other day when, like, I knew the Canucks... I was pretty aware that the Canucks were having a good season, right? Like, I'd heard it from time to time. But um, a lot of it had been focused on their offense and how many goals they were scoring. When I went to rank the teams in terms of goals against, I was almost shocked to see the Canucks at number three in the NHL. The Jets are first, the Panthers are second, and then you've got the Canucks with the goals against of 2.57. Um Tell us a bit about the behind-the-scenes numbers on how the Canucks have been defending in front of their all-star goalie, Thatcher Demko, because I thought they'd be much improved, like maybe 10th or 11th in the NHL, but man, I know they've got a lot of shutouts, but 
all the way up to third in the NHL. I don't know if this is getting enough attention. Well, it's, I mean, it, this was my question coming into the season. Because after Tockett took over last year, five-on-five, five, high danger against, and, and, and I look mostly at that because two things. That's how goals get scored. Um, the high danger chances matter the most. And also five-on-five five high danger tends to be the one that's an indicator of playoff success. And it has been for the last number of years. Like that, you, you win that matchup, that metric, you tend to win in the postseason. And when ta- since Tockett took over last year, like at the end of, towards the end of last season, they were fourth. Like their defensive environment was night and day better after the coaching change. I just wasn't sure if he could keep it up. And he's act- it's actually gotten better. Well, I guess overall it's, it's fifth high danger five-on-five five against, second high danger five-on-five five off the rush. Uh, PK has gotten better. It's mid-pack at 18th. In zone, they still, there's still some too many great A's in there. It's the 21st. But the rush ones are the ones that matter most. I just talked about the Oilers, right, when they were a tire fire. It was all off the rush. After the coaching change in Edmonton, they went from dead last high danger off the rush to first high danger off the rush since. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, their goaltenders can stop the puck again. We shouldn't. You know, we shouldn't be, like, looking, you know, who can they trade for to fix their goaltending because it's what's going on in front of them. The Canucks have been a top-five defensive team all year long outside the penalty kill, and I think when Susie's been healthy, the penalty kill, that's where you see those blips up where the underlying actually matches the performance, and we've seen some of the rise in their penalty kill members. So outside of the PK, they've been, they've been full value, not just goaltending, but full value as a team for those defensive numbers you talk about, and that's really encouraging um, regardless of goaltending, because that's, you know, that, that's what gives Thatcher Demko a chance, even if he's just playing the same as he was the last couple of seasons, to be in the Vesna conversation, whereas it was too easy to overlook him because the environment was too bad the past couple of years, especially two years ago. On the other end of the ice, uh, Woodley, and, you know, we've heard Rick Tockett speak a little bit recently about he wants the, the top six to have more heavy shifts, right, be more connected, you know, even comparing them to the Garland line. And, you know, we were talking earlier in the show, it's not as if it's a panic situation or anything for the top six, but are they clicking uh, at the level where you really want to see them? Again, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, but what are you seeing? What do the numbers say about the offensive performance for the Canucks and especially the top six right now? Yeah, I don't, I, you know what? I, like I have the ability, everything we do for goaltending at ClearSight Analytics, we can do for players. Yeah. So in terms of the high danger that, that goalies are facing, you can, you can break that down on a player standpoint. I just, to be honest, I'm the goalie guy. I don't spend a lot of time on it, so I haven't got that broken down. <laughs> Overall, as a team, like that's not as flattering. They, you know, this the, I, I, you know, the talk about PDO and shooting percentage, like they outperform what they create. And now I do think there are some micro stats where they create better, and I think we've some, seen some examples. Like, you know, I know a lot of people look, for example, the Detroit game, and listen, like Alex Lyon wasn't great for the Red Wings, and that helped the Vancouver get off to a good lead. But the JT Miller goal uh, after the the terrible turnover by Petrie, like that screen, and I even had this conversation with Alex Lyon, and he was swearing at himself for, for some of the other goals. But that one, that's a hat tip. Like Brock Besser, uh, the way he screened, the way he sort of moved right through Lyon's eyes as a moving screen or what we call a flash screen just as JT's releasing it, like that's one where the other goalie's like, that was a hell of a screen and a hell of a play. And so I think there are times uh, and instances where those type of plays, and, and this is why I – 
I would back up some of the calls for Besser to be back net front on the power play because that's where he was so effective before and the way he used to work with JT in terms of getting the goalie to switch sides and move his eyes right before a release comes. Like some very effective stuff that uh, it's like, oh, they got, a sh- they got another goal from distance. And it's like, no, if you break it down, like they created that and they were full value for it and that's a high danger chance. Some screen chances have a 40% chance of going in. Like if you can create the right type of screen environment, that's, that shot is a very, very high danger, grade A++ plus plus chance. And they've done a really good job of that. But overall, you know, they still grade out. You know, off the rush, they're not giving anything up, but they're 24th in what they create. They're 16th overall, five on five. And the one that's a little bit concerning is the power play, which was, you know, generating at a sort of top five and for a long stretch, even top three earlier in the season, it slipped all the way to ninth. And I think that's where, to me, that's the takeaway on Saturday night. Well, a couple of things. Obviously, everyone's going to talk about chasing the hit and Juleson. Um, and I think there's other moments in there. I thought they were lucky not to start the third period down five on three. When the temperature raises, you have to be able to maintain your composure. And I thought they were lucky that JT wasn't the only one to go late in the second period on that hit through Shifley. Um, so instances like that are one of the takeaways, like like learning how to sort of manage that in big moments in big games where one mistake could be the difference. Um, but also special teams. Uh, PK, it's funny because the first one sort of set up the second one for 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 the Jets in terms of down low score short side, and then the second time when they go down low, Demko's strong into his post, but the puck's already being passed out to the mm. middle, the quick pop pass. And so, but if you talking to Velarde afterwards, he missed his first shot, so he was trying to go short side shelf on that backhand, and Demko read it. And so he lifted up to try and protect the top of the net. And Velarde admittedly in the post game when I talked to him whiffed. And that's why it goes underneath Demko's blocker. So a bit of a tough break there. Satcher was perfect with his read. And Greg's probably like nodding along in the producer's booth there because you know as a goalie, when you make a perfect read and the guy misses his shot and it goes in, it's the worst. Like there's nothing worse. Well, didn't Monaghan um, kind, of, kind of like knuckleball his in too? Yeah, I mean, but but that's to me the difference there is like again because as soon as that puck goes down to the goal line, Demp goes into his reverse on the short side post, and he wasted no time with a pop pass. And I don't think Monahan needs to hammer that as long as he goes against the grain. So Demko's pushing out to him off his post, and he shoots it back the other way. I think even if he didn't get all of it, the location and the fact that he went against the grain in that instance was just, you know, that that's one, again, to me, that's a tip your hat. That's a hell of a play. Uh, you don't necessarily need to rip it in order to have that go in. It was more based on the circumstance and location. But the first one was a tough break. I guess the overall thing, like I'm not, what I'm saying is I'm not so much worried about the PK uh, on that night because it was more circumstantial. But, you know, and talk, talked about this even it, Thursday about, you know, who cares if the power play scores two goals when you're up 5-1? I needed to score or generate in, in sort of crunch time and big moments. And going over against the Jets on a night where they gave up two shorthanded, you know, to me that's the difference in the game and, and sort of the takeaway, the things that they're going to need. Like you're, you're going to need to, especially when things get tougher and, you're, and it's hard to find five-on-five five goals, especially against a team as stingy as the Jets and a goalie as good as Hellebuck, you're going to need your power play to come through for you and, and generate more than they did on a lot of those chances. Hey, Kev, uh, just a couple minutes, but what's the uh, goalie gossip saying about the future of Marc-Andre Fleury? 
I mean, I don't have a window inside. You guys need Russo on, the, the expert of all things Minnesota, to tell you what's going on uh, in terms of whether they will, whether he wants to, whether he's willing to. And I think at this stage of his career with his family situation, he's earned the right to sort of call his shot. But, like, to me, this guy can still play. I know it didn't go well for in the playoffs for him last year, but since the coaching change in Minnesota, his adjusted numbers sort of crept into the top 15 in the league. Uh, his raw numbers don't look great. Uh, that's because he's gotten a lot of the crap sandwiches, right? Like he's the backup there. And so they've fed him into a lot of tough starts where, you know, if you're just looking at the raw numbers or the game sheets, it doesn't look great. But you look at the adjusted numbers and this guy's still playing at a really, really high level. And, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, as long as the health allows it, um, I don't see any, and he wants to, I actually don't see any reason. I know we've had a lot of sort of farewells and last, potentially last game here and potentially last game there. But as long as the hips are holding up um, and there might be some questions there, uh, to me, this guy can continue playing and playing at a high level. And so if I'm a team that needs an insurance policy or a guy like if I'm not sure about my number one and might need to throw the – like. I'd be all over Marc-Andre Fleury. He checks a lot of boxes, too, because he's done it before. Mm -hmm. Guys who have been traded before and gone through the process, it's easier the second time adjusting to a new team. Kev, awesome stuff, buddy. Enjoy the game today. Yeah, enjoy it. Yes, I hope you guys can enjoy it more having had an extra hour's sleep. Yes, absolutely. We probably will. (laughs) I think that's right. I'm going to bump my nap back a couple hours. See you, buddy. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Skip the nap, go for a walk. I already had the dog out for an hour. It is wow. gorgeous, sunny, beautiful Vancouver weather. You know what? It's a preview of what it's going to be like around here in the playoffs. I, I can't wait. Fantastic. Thanks, Kevin. Take care, guys. Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George and White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.